Hey, listeners, have you ever been that kid who tugged at the corner of your eyes pretending to be Asian or maybe even mocking people of Asian descent? I say that not really with like major accusation because I'm sure we've all actually like when we grew up, at least people did that a lot. But as an adult, it happened to me when I was speaking with my little girls in Japanese and a neighborhood boy who was white asked his mom why I was doing that. And she explained that I was Japanese. And the kid goes, oh, yeah, I see a little uh," and like literally tugged his eyes. Well, so two things came to mind. First, adults have said that to me, like pulled at their eyes. I will say like, (laughs) oh, I'm Japanese. By the way, oh, I see it here. Literally pulling at their eyes. Can't do that. It's not okay. I like the face that you're making right now, which no one else can see except me, but. Which they shouldn't because I still have like a hair towel on my head. Yeah. Okay. Well, everyone else is spared. (laughs) But anyway, but you know, as you were saying that, Sarah, you know, the And you probably heard this rhyme, too, in school. Like, I felt like, you know, there was the Chinese, Japanese. Do you remember that? Where there was eye pulling up and down. And that was totally normal at school growing up. Like, I feel like no one said anything about that. I heard that all the time. Okay, anyway, back to you. Thank you. Totally true. I mean, okay, to be fair, there might be some sweeping generalizations that you can make about Asian people or people of Asian descent, right? A lot tend to have dark hair more tend to have almond-shaped eyes. But the truth is, in America, people who fall into the broad bucket of Asian, air quoting, have among the largest differences of all the large sort of groupings that we have, like white people or black people or Hispanic people. Asian people are not all the same. So among the things we're discussing in today's episode are all the basic things you need to know about the model minority myth. And let's just start with, no, we are not all good at math, nor do we all play the violin, you know? And we're discussing this because white people, you keep asking us what you can do differently to be more anti-racist. So we're spending the summer going through things in a bite-sized way so that we know the basics around the most commonly asked questions and issues around racism that we see in this country. And again... This is not a checklist. This is simply a primer. And if you would like more, please go buy our book, Dear White Women, Let's Get Uncomfortable Talking About Racism, which is full of people's stories, real history, and action steps for you to take. Welcome to the Dear White Women podcast. We are your biracial Japanese and white hosts, Sarah and Misasha. We've been best friends for 25 years, ever since we met as undergrads at Harvard. And now Misasha is a lawyer. She is married to a black man and has very mixed race boys the world sees as black. I am Sarah. I'm a life coach. I'm married to a white Canadian man, and I have two white presenting girls. And together, we help white women use their privilege to uproot systemic racism without centering themselves in the process. Okay, so item number one on the agenda, making sure everyone knows that the model minority myth is just that, a myth. And so while we've heard some people ask us, you know, well, isn't that a good stereotype to be called? There's only one answer here, and that answer is no. So Sarah, tell us why. I'd be happy to. The term model minority was coined by a sociologist in 1966. Okay, this sociologist wrote a piece holding Japanese Americans up as a model for success, saying that they were able to overcome discrimination due to their, they said, like family structure and cultural ethic of hard work. But what that paper did not take into account was that just one year earlier in 1965, the Hart-Seller Act finally got rid of the immigration restrictions that had been in place until that point. 
So it changed the immigration policy of the United States from one that allowed immigrants based on the percentage of people who'd previously come into the country from that country, which so if you'd heard of like the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882 had severely limited people from China to begin with. And then policies like the Gentleman's Agreement between Japan and the U.S. meant that Japan would purposely limit immigration into the United States because of the sort of ugly yellow peril stereotype, like Asians are so dangerous. Right. And so there was a very small number of Asian immigrants in this country compared to the white immigrants coming from Europe. And what the policy until that point said was, well, we're only going to let up the same percentage in from each of your populations. So by default, the Asian population that was allowed in was very, very small. And so what the Heart Seller Act did was change it from that into one that prioritized things like family reunification, skilled labor, and refugees. And so what happened? Well, after family members reunited, then we started to see more skilled laborers like doctors and scientists come in from Asia. And so I think we would argue that it wasn't so much some like inherent Asian-ness that let Japanese immigrants be successful. It was the types of people at the time that this phrase was coined who were allowed into the United States for the very first time. So then, you know, what's the problem with the model minority myth? And one of the big problems is that it serves as a wedge between populations that have been historically marginalized and oppressed in this country. It's like saying, you know, see these people, like the Japanese immigrants who, you know, we incarcerated and then, hey, now they're, you know, thriving, whatever that means, were successful, right? So Black people who, keep in mind, have been systemically oppressed, starting with, oh, I don't know, slavery in this country since our the inception of our country, you, too, should be able to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And like, just a huge asterisk here, you know, in saying that, we're clearly not remembering that we never allowed Black people to have boots for which straps would be attached in the first place here. So it really minimizes the struggles that other minorities face in this country based on their own history. And guess what? It was designed to do just that. That's the whole purpose of the model minority myth. So when we buy into it and we say things like, oh, isn't that a good stereotype? We're continuing to perpetuate white supremacist ideals. And yes, it is that simple. And that's fire for you to say that like that, right? Yeah, I just dropped the mic. Yes. I'm going to pick it up and keep going. <laughs> now I picked it back up and handed it to you. <laughs> So what else is wrong with the model minority myth? And as if what you just said wasn't enough, I think it's also important to realize that it's really focusing on exceptionalism, right? It's saying that like, well, these people, these exceptional people did these exceptional things, but it really reduces the real life identity struggles, discrimination and harm that Asian individuals face in this country. Right. I have friends who grew up here who were made to be like feel like really inadequate by teachers who wouldn't believe them when they said they didn't understand a math problem and needed help. Other Asian friends who did well in science and were scoffed at, like, of course you got this. Right. Imagine just being discarded because you are being lumped into some sort of stereotype. So that's one. Right. Like people of Asian descent have their own individual struggles and we're like blowing it off. The other big problem with it is that it completely erases the reality that there are like over 48 countries out there and three territories with immigrants in the United States, right? Chinese, Korean, and Japanese people, they're seen as, and I'm going to air quote this heavily, fancy East Asians, if you're familiar with the Ali Wong skit. She's amazing. Ali Wong, if you're listening, we love you. But it's funny because there's a lot of truth to it. People of Cambodian, Vietnamese, Filipino, Indonesian, Thai, Indian, Singaporean, Malaysian, and Nepalese descent also live in America. 
each with languages and cultures and histories of their own. And when you lump them all together under some huge umbrella like Asian, you're missing the fact that for every dollar a Chinese American woman makes, a Cambodian American woman makes only 57 cents. Mm. So what is it like hearing all of this now that you can do differently? And, you know, we're going to give you some suggestions, but let's start with first, definitely challenge yourself if you catch yourself assuming things about Asians, right? Assuming Asians are meek, aren't good leaders, are good in math, must play an instrument. I mean, you know, those were four things that we named in the span of five seconds, and that list could go on. Not to, you know, hammer this point home too hard, but while those might sound like good stereotypes, again, they're not. And don't continue to perpetuate those under that rationale because it will hurt all of us. I like that. So second of all, I would think about what you're really asking when you ask someone who looks Asian, where are you from? Have you ever been asked that, Misasha? Right? Basically, everyone of Asian descent has been asked this question, especially if the answer of like, if you say California or I say Colorado, and if that's not good enough for you, what you're saying without realizing it is that Asian is not American, right? If you've got European ancestry, do you have to answer where you're really from or is America good enough? So it's that subtle attitude that lets people really discount racism against Asian people and ultimately can lead to really harmful policies. Like you mentioned it earlier, Misasha, the Japanese American incarceration some say internment, during World War II, where we imprisoned 120,000 people, two-thirds of whom were fully American citizens. We cannot say that it won't happen again. So don't ask people where they're from. And also interrupt phrases like, and I hate saying this, but like oriental or yellow or letting people continue to refer to COVID as the China flu and worse, right? No, do not do it. Don't say it yourself. Interrupt and correct people if they say it. There's so much truth there. I think that those points that you made are so important. You know, and third, go expose yourself to different Asian narratives. You know, Sarah, you talked about the diversity that exists in Asia, right? And so let's not just, you know, follow those narratives talking about people in their ancient cultures, right? But let's place Asian people doing everyday things. And we talk about this a lot, right? Let's do it. In, let's see it in kids' books. Let's see it in adults' novels, right? You may not be living in a community with a lot or any Asians, right? And so media might be how you get exposure to different Asian narratives. But remember, look for the shows that tell Asian stories by Asian voices, not necessarily a non-Asian view of what Asian stories should be, right? Because that way you can understand people's histories and nuances and remember that we are all individuals with our own histories and stories, not just lumped together in a broad storyline that we're going to call Asian, right? But remember, and hopefully you've gotten this message throughout what we're saying, you have the tools to learn more. So now we've got to do better. Let's destroy the model minority myth once and for all so that we can all collectively be stronger. You've just listened to the Dear White Women podcast with your hosts, Sarah and Misasha. Yes, we're on social media. And yes, you can hire us to do talks about our book. But the biggest thing, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter to receive our free materials. Head over to DearWhiteWomen.com to get on the list.